Welcome to This Week in MTG with your hosts, Matt Olson, JB, and Danny Oakstead. Hello, magic folk. Welcome to This Week in MTG, your aggregate news source for all things Magic the Gathering. We are your hosts, Matt Olson. Up there, we got Danny Oakstead. What's up? Over there, the Janky Boggle, JB. Neither. And we have another guest this week. This week, we have Lockheed with us. Lockheed, say hello. Introduce yourself. Tell us about yourself. Hey, guys. I'm Lockheed. Uh, you can find me out on uh, Magic Financial Aid. I'm one of the moderators on their Discord. Um, a collector, player, and uh, involved in a bunch of the MTG Finance channels. So all you out there are probably like, why do we got Lockheed on? Well, this to, this episode is special because we're going to do like a deep dive with uh, Double Masters. We've, we had the full set released uh, yesterday, yesterday. And so we want to talk about the cards, financial implications, and what the packs, the sealed product, the singles, all that. Like there, I doubt there's anything we're going to miss with this whole discussion here. So uh, Lockheed. Being our guest, you want to kick us off here with this? Uh, you have some thoughts about the product pricing in general that you're telling me in discussions. Um, you want to elaborate on some of that stuff, and then we can like use that as a starting point and then go from there? Absolutely. So Double Masters is an odd uh, product with the VIP packs as well as the booster packs. The um, The boxes are around $300 each. Uh, if you buy them retail, you can probably find them cheaper if you scour online. But the VIP packs are somewhere around $90 to $100 each. And you got to ask yourself, well, what's a VIP pack? And that's it's 33 cards uh, with two foil box toppers, no non-foil cards except for basic lands. And those basic lands are some of the sweetest full art lands ever printed. Uh, speaking specifically of the unstable lands, they also have the uh, Battle for Zendikar full arts in them, which I don't particularly love. So the thing is, the products themselves seem to be very worth the money that you're putting into them. Now, the, the plain old booster box for $300 doesn't sound great, but if you are buying this as something to play with, the packs, and from what I have experienced, because I did a sample draft of it, the experience of doing the double masters draft is out of this world. If you get a box for anything under two hundred and ninety dollars to play with, you are you are spending your money wisely. Um, the The product inside should be easily resellable if you if you don't want to keep it to make a good portion of that money back. Um, the big thing that Double Masters has done right now is it's made the the modern format affordable with all of the reprints in there. And I'm not just talking about the fancy mythics or the splashy rares. A lot of the uncommons and commons are cards that desperately needed to be printed en masse so that people could reach out, grab them, and build decks like Tron. The VIP packs are a completely different story. You're not buying these to play with. If you are the type of person, like myself, who's buying VIP packs, you're doing it for one of two reasons. You like to play the lottery, and you're cracking them to collect, or you're hoping to find something to bling out your deck, or, again, like me, you're cracking them open, hoping to get something really big so that you could sell it and make your money back and keep just a couple pieces out of the pack. The VIP packs, if that's what you're looking to do, you're not buying a booster box. You're buying the VIP packs. The, the, the value discrepancy there is huge. Getting six box toppers for the price of what you would get two box toppers for. Um, we can talk about the value of boxes. I'm dominating the time. I'm going to pass the, <laughs> pass the uh, mic over. No, no, that's all good. You being the guest, like we want we want to hear your uh, your thoughts, and then we build off of that. Um, so 
uh, clearly with the uh, the uh, price of the VIP packs and all that stuff uh, comparing to just the normal pack is great. Uh, and getting six box toppers is a great... It, oh, man, all those box toppers are just so good. But uh, I know one thing that I wanted to talk about when it, when it came to the box toppers is those rarity upshifted... Uh, Six, uh, eight, eight cards. The eight cards I got the rarity upshifted for the box toppers that you can get in the VIPs and as as a box topper as well. Um, yeah, some of those are great. I love the fact that they did like brainstorm. You know that 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 box topper version is gorgeous, and it's going to be sought after. People are going to want that for their EDH decks or their legacy decks. For sure, the uh, the Tron pieces, especially, I imagine like all, all, a lot of Tron players that I know, they definitely want to be blinging out their Tron decks uh, for modern implications or and stuff like that. So, like getting an alternative uh, panoramic art for that, including Karn, is going to be highly sought after from those. Um, I do know that there was a lot of concerns about the, it, you feel a little robbed for getting uh, these commons and uncommons as a box topper with a rarity upshift and stuff like that uh, for not getting like an actual rare or mythic. And um, when it, uh, oh man, uh, trying to think. I can relate to that. Um, But I mean, look at M21 and the collector's boosters and the upshifted cultivate. I have yet to hear somebody be upset that they opened a cultivate. Granted, if somebody opens a fatal push as their box topper, they might not love it. But that's every every VIP pack and every uh, box topper pack has two box toppers in it. The chances of them both being absolute stinkers, while it's not insignificant, it's still pretty small. Right. Because you got all these other awesome box toppers like Sneak Attack or any of the swords? Like... You open up one of those as a box topper, like you're just going to be a happy magic player. I would completely discount your chances of opening any of the mythic box toppers. Um, Watsi has outright said that your chances of opening a rare box topper over a mythic is about two to one. Oh, is it? Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah they came out with a statement on that. That I think that's even in all the packs too, isn't it? That's all the packs. That's all box topper. Wherever you might find a box topper, whether it's in VIP or the box topper pack from a booster box, missed out on missed out on that box on that announcement. That that was on the uh, the motherboard or the. So it came up as a Twitter conversation. I think I could probably find it, but I believe that it came from the guys at Star City Games directly asking i want to say blake rasmussen but i could be wrong i'm sure somebody will correct me somewhere along the lines um they asked him directly on twitter and he gave a direct response i don't know if you guys do show notes or not but uh, if you do i can find you the link to that conversation oh yeah we got show notes always posting up uh all, all the stuff that we talk about linked below so people can read the full articles for themselves as well Awesome. I will find you that link then. Perfect. Now, I can't remember. What was the actual distribution of each pack, like as far as commons, uncommons, rares, stuff like that? For the VIP packs, it's 12 lands, 12 full art lands, two of which will be foil, uh, nine commons, uh, eight uncommons two rares and two box toppers two showcase cards for the regular boosters it is the same as a normal booster 15 commons uh three uncommons but you get two rares in there as well it is at the moment un unclear whether the rare takes the place of the token card or the add card in a regular booster pack well, they got tokens and stuff in there, so I can't imagine that'd be taking the spot of the token. Like, they're just yeah that that, that wouldn't make sense because they they did put out some new art for the tokens as well. So I wonder if they just took out one 
common slot then for the regular packs. I, can't I mean, that would make uh, more sense to me, but that's just draft me as a player. <laughs> will have eight commons, three uncommons. Oh, it's only eight commons. That's okay, what so it is. So they did shave one down. Okay. Yeah. Two rares two, and two foil cards. It does not mention anything about tokens, but we can assume there will be tokens in there. VIP edition will be two foil showcase rares or mythics, two foil rare or mythic, eight foil uncommon, nine foil common, 12 basic lands, two of which are foil, and two foil double-sided token. So it's not terrible then for the VIP packs. It's not a terrible amount. Your value is great on those VIP packs. I... If you are if you are looking to purchase for value, you should be going for VIP packs. If you're purchasing to just play with the cards, you should be going for the draft boosters. With the uh, VIP packs, I think there are several people online that uh, did the math for if, if you spend ninety dollars uh, before tax to get a VIP booster pack, all these uh, a lot of these cards that you get in there, you can imagine that you're getting like. Uh, 20 bucks of value for a card uh, just in the rares and the uh, foils alone and uh, all the lands and stuff like that just like pretty flush like it equals out to about 10 bucks so they were saying that the value is definitely there if you can find it for sub 100 bucks like you were saying yep that that is exactly right 90 dollars is the sweet spot and if anybody cares to look around you can absolutely find them for cheaper Cheaper yeah. than $90. Yeah, online wow. right now. eBay is showing uh, the first the first listing for $89.99 before tax and shipping. So, Yeah. Um, I don't want to give up too many sources because I do want to uh, push people to check out my site, Magic uh, Financial Aid, where we do help you find these things. So, But the, 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 the bargains are out there. Do a little hunting. Do a little Googling. You'll find them. We'll totally uh, link to you if you want us to, so that way our listeners can find you and then go find these awesome deals online for these uh, VIP masters. 100%. Absolutely. Uh, MFA, Magic Financial Aid, we're a finance community that's based on helping each other play the game cheaper, get our cards cheaper. We're not about you know flipping cards for money, though some of that does happen. Yeah, it's just something that happens with cards uh, at any point. You know, It's just like, got a... $30 card. I uh, want to make some profit on that just alone and not just like uh, help out. Right? Yeah. Um, absolutely. We also assist with, you know, how to out your cards when you have something of value. So, you know, when we call it financial aid, we really mean how to, how to, we, we're here to help you with managing your magic finance. Which is super good because a lot of the times, you know, a lot of people just automatically assume magic finance is with like the the scummy overlords that do all the negative things to magic prices and stuff. So showing that you're a caring community and like showing to help out is like, hey, you know, uh, you're just hearing about the bad ones. Like everybody else is not like that. A hundred percent. I'm actually part of several magic finance communities, and uh, while there is some uh, I want to say scummy practices out there. The ones that I partic- that I personally invest in, the ones that I moderate on, the ones that I get involved in, are more about community and helping one another and helping other people. My personal goal is to make magic more accessible to the average layperson. See, and that's awesome. See, I I, I like that because I come from more of the budget side of the game, and I think that's great that there's more people out there pushing for that. There are a ton of us out there. So with uh, trying to get more budget on the game, Double Masters seems like it's going to be a set that really lowers the price on a lot of these cards to make them more accessible. Uh, I think a prime, uh, a good example of that would be something like Expedition Map. Uh, this card was a $5 common, and now with uh, its uh, printing here, I think it's pre-selling at a couple bucks. Yeah, so, um, like I was saying earlier, Double Masters is making modern itself just more accessible, more playable with all of these reprints. These are all cards that people feel they have to have to be able to play modern. 
or to be able to play certain decks. And these decks were never seen as budget decks before. I mean, the Tron Lands, Karn, um, uh, uh, Oblivion Stone, you've got basically the entire Tron deck, which was never seen as a budget deck before. And now you're missing one card in a reasonable price range, uh, Chalice of the Void, and that's it. Right. Yeah, I'm surprised they didn't print that one in here. I wholeheartedly expected it, especially with the whole double theme and the you know double X. I expected a lot more. Like, yeah, I seriously, that was hoping that one was gonna pop up. You and me both. I'm glad they printed Walking Ballista, though. I mean, that's a very welcome addition. Huge. I mean, that's a combo card in a lot of decks, and it's you know it, it's enabling people, like I said, to look at what they have already and then pick and choose out of what's in Double Masters and buy those few singles that they need really cheap. And the advice I'd give for people looking to do that is wait one to two weeks after the set is in people's hands, then start looking at prices. Because if you look right now, the prices are inflated for pre-release, but they've been falling for weeks and at release they'll fall even further and since there aren't a lot of in-store events happening right now not a lot of in-person you're gonna you're gonna need to wait a little bit longer than release day i think to see the prices really plummet um the other interesting thing that i think with double masters is most master sets are geared to a particular format and double masters isn't you had all the modern masters sets. You had iconic masters and ultimate masters, which were geared directly towards uh, um, legacy. This one, what's the format that they're targeting? Is it EDH? Is it modern? I don't know. I think it's all of them. Uh, but they've somehow, by avoiding targeting a specific format, they've managed to make a, a, a set that's way better than I think most if not all of the prior master sets have been yeah like it seems like a quarter of the cards here can be easily like oh this is for commander uh commander legacy quarter of these cards can be for modern specifically and and stuff like that like you got toxic deluge that's a card that commander players that are wanted to play a little more on the cdh or just have a cheap board wipe want and that's a big legacy card uh as well and now it's more accessible and you get a pretty cool reprint or a pretty cool new art with it as well. Yeah. Toxic deluge. It, you, I mean, that's one of the top three cards that people have been demanding a reprint for forever. And to get a, uh, to, to look for a, a premium version that wasn't just foil to get a premium version that wasn't just foil. That's awesome. So the only pl place that you could have got a foil was from eternal masters. Because it was only printed in Commander. Uh, it was yeah. only ever printed in Commander sets, correct? Yeah, yeah. Um, but we're getting we're getting a uh, box topper version of it, a showcase version. And the ha if you haven't seen the art on it, it is absolutely gorgeous. Mm -hmm. For sure, I got to pull up right here, and it looks great. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, Richard Kane Ferguson is an old school uh, magic artist, uh, Arcane Denial. I, I play that card a lot. And uh, the old Arcane Denial from Ar uh, Alliances, like they had the, the, the sword and the, the axe version of them. And those arts look super cool. So seeing this Toxic Deluge, yeah, got it pulled up here. We got uh, Boomerang, the Black Blade Reforged from the Gideon set he also made. So he the art on in this is just like classic magic art, I believe, for this. A lot of the box toppers, if you look at the artists, they were made by classic magic artists. And they a lot of them have that old school feel for them, too. Um, one that I'm not personally in love with, but a lot of people are raving about, is the showcase version of Force of Will. Oh, um, yeah. It is. I, I I won't say it's not good art. It definitely is good art. It's just not my my personal taste. Yeah, I, I'm on that boat too. A lot of people love it, though. A lot of people are really excited for that one. And you know, the those legacy players out there, they're going to be looking to get that force of will to replace their Therese Nielsen ones. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I got one more interesting 
bit of thought about double masters and that's prior to this COVID-19 nonsense, um, all of these masters sets had always been released around a big public event like a, a Grand Prix or Hascon or something of that nature. This is the first one that's come out without a major event, which means that these boxes are not going to get opened in the thousands in one day, in one weekend, like at a Grand Prix Vegas. We don't have people running draft after draft after draft over an entire weekend. So the singles may recover really quickly with their prices. So if your listeners out there, if you guys out there are looking to pick up these singles for your decks, don't wait too long. If you're waiting and watching the prices and you're seeing them go up, that's the time to move. Because after release, if they start going up, they're just going to keep going up. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, could. Oh, go ahead. Didn't they have a GP plan for this before the whole COVID hit? I think I was reading somewhere there. And that's why they have such an influx of product on this one. So I'm getting mixed signals about how much of this product is available. Um, a lot of uh, distributors and store owners are saying that their booster box allocation is being cut or not fulfilled. But their VIP pack allocation, they're being told they can order as much as they want. Um, so I don't know what exactly that means. Maybe they had planned to have a lot of the VIP packs out there and available at the GP. And knowing that there's no GP, they're just giving them to the to the distributors to put out to the stores. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. On the other hand, I also have a few reliable sources telling me that they're not experiencing this shortage and that they are being told by their distributors that they have as much product as the as the stores want. Hmm. So I have no actual definitive answer for you. Well, hopefully we don't run into the jumpstart problem then. I guarantee that is not going to be the case with this. This product was prepared and in distributors' hands well before uh well before it was announced so if there's going to be uh, a good amount of double masters out there but having booster boxes not as accessible but more vips that means that they were definitely printing more vips like it was is that something that wizards was were speculating here and stuff clearly uh they're trying to push more along the VIPs and these specialty boost boosters and stuff. Uh, if they have, if they printed more or have more access to VIP boosters over just a normal draft booster, that's the assumption anyway. Hmm. Uh, the other ramification of that is that there will be more foils out there of these cards than non-foils. So adjust your expectations on prices accordingly. Was there uh, anything with distributors about uh, foiling processes done different? I know in the past, uh, between a couple sets that Wizards uh, made, some of the cards were done on like a different cardstock and foiling process was done between them. Is this, was there any like confirmation on this being like, man, I can't think of uh, the example, like, so I, I know what you're trying to say. And um, right now, I would say the pinnacle of the foiling process is the standard collector boosters. Those things are printed on a nice thick stock. The foiling process is done in such a way that they do not curl easily. Um, it is assumed, though I have no confirmation, that the VIP, that the foiling process for this set, the VIP is not different, um, but that the foiling process follows that uh, collector booster process. Well, that'd be good because that would be a pretty good feel bad if uh, you open it right out of the pack of this $100 pack you spent on that thing curls instantly. No Pringles chips, please. <laughs> you can run three-card uh, Monty with it. $100 uh, can of Pringles right there. It's, it's an entire pack of foils. It would be awful. It would be horrendous That would if that happened. I'm out in Oregon, which is a pretty moist territory. Uh, so, yeah, curling can be a real problem. Foil curling always always makes a player sad. Right? That's why I haven't bought any secret layers. 
<laughs> you know, I've had really good luck with my secret layers. I had very slight curling on the Theros set, but other than that, they've all been solid. The Godzilla lands are amazing. They are just like the collector boosters. They're thick, they're crisp, they haven't curled on me yet. And uh, yeah, I'm a big fan. Uh, this is just more for uh, personal knowledge. Is there a way for uh, people like us to like get information on the printers and stuff process and changing cardstock and that like whenever someone talks about like a cardstock and stuff got changed i'm like is that just like one of those things that uh store owners and the distributors like converse between themselves and if they let that information out that's how the public knows like where could someone like us go to kind of keep up to date with something like that maybe so Watsi keeps their printing process very secret for good reason. Um, we don't, everything we talk about, everything you hear on the internet about the printing process is mostly conjecture. Um, oh. Occasionally on the mothership, they will talk about it when there's a significant change. Um, for example, a few years ago, they changed the printing process in the US to match the process in Japan, which had an impact for artists who want to sign cards because the finish on it required a different kind of pen. Um, so they made a big announcement about that. But generally, they don't say anything. The, the talk about the printing process comes from people who open the cards and who have some knowledge of how these things are made. Um, I've been collecting long enough uh, since the games came out um, that, you know, by the feel of a card, I can tell you what era it was printed in, whether it's modern era, whether it was printed in the the original run, print run, or if it was printed in Japan, so on and so forth. Um, you can, if if you don't care about your cards or, you know, you have some basic lands, one thing you can do to check to see what these cards are done is tear a basic land in half from from a bunch of different sets from across time and you'll see how the layers are put together you got to tear it not just like a clean tear but in a way that it peels away so you can see the layers or strata like a geologist would look at rocks <laughs> especially the foils now you'll you'll see some of them have a black layer in the foil some of them don't some of them have you know all kinds of stuff that that you wouldn't expect um, then you get, you know, how to detect a counterfeit. There's the, the blue core, black core counterfeits, things like that. And, you know, knowing your way around a card, uh, will help you identify what changes they make as the cards come out. I know, uh, watching some people online talk about old school, uh, printings and stuff on cards, like the, the blotting and stuff. It's always, uh, interesting to see the progression of, like the printers and stuff when they had like different uh, ink jets, like there's different designs, like when you get real up close to the card. Uh, I've always found that stuff pretty interesting. Yeah. Uh, uh, I can't even think of what it's called at the moment, but like uh, comic books used to be printed with uh, uh, a circle pattern uh, uh, and cards were too, to, to uh, rosettes. That's what, that's the word I'm looking for. The rosettes to uh, change colors uh around the uh card because they were only printing with uh cmyk cyan yellow magenta and black uh, and they had to basically use a dot matrix pattern to get those colors to mix to make other colors and that's how you would get a full range of colors and when you get up close to it you can see those dot patterns and that's actually one of the ways you check a card to see if it's counterfeit the back of the magic card has not changed since the original printing of the cards to the point where a printing error that made it to the initial run of alpha is still intentionally being printed. Really? On the back of the cards? Yes. Um, down at the bottom where it says Deckmasters in blue, there's a dark swash that goes through it that looks <laughs> like it's intentional. Yep. That is actually a printing error. It was over-inked in that spot wow i always thought that was intentional i did not know that that was wow yeah i'm looking at it right now i could give you a few ways to detect fakes pretty easily too off the back because again the backs have never been changed 
Um, in the green dot in the gems around the back, you need uh, you can usually pick it out with a really good uh, cell phone zoomed in or with uh, uh, a jeweler's loop. There is a series of red dots in that yellow dot or in that green dot that are red and they sh they form an L. And that is a dead giveaway that the card is fake. An easier one to see is at the bottom, <coughs> excuse me, at the bottom of the letter T, if you zoom in on it, if it's a nice straight flat line or if it's fuzzy, you have a fake. The originals have that dot matrix printing, so it has this sort of uh, comb, tooth comb line to it at the bottom. On the I can share something for you. On the T and Deck Master you're talking about there? Yep. Okay. Need to get myself a, a jeweler lens just to be like observing this stuff now. That's just interesting. I'm going to find one of my images here and uh, I'll share it out to you guys in the channels. I'm going to post this in the general channel. Perfect. You open up that image and you look at the bottom, you'll see that wavy line up and down, up and down, up and down. Yep. That that T, that bottom of the T should look exactly like that. Some very slight variation, but that's what it should look like. A fake will either be completely straight or it'll be fuzzy. Here, I got a fake one to post for you. This is through a jeweler's loop. You can see the circle and everything. But if you look at the bottom of that T, it's all fuzzy. And it's not as clearly defined as that wavy line. Yep. Yeah. That is a fake. Um, you can also look at the rosette pattern. Those are the dots you see in the image. You can see how they differ. Um, that's another that, that requires a lot more knowledge on what that should look like when you're examining it. Uh, it's harder to reference. The 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 thing I would tell anybody looking to identify a fake would be to have older cards in your binder of that same era that you are comparing to. So if you go to a store and you're trying to buy, let's say, a dual land and you're concerned that it's being that it's a fake, if you have a revised basic land from that same era, you can compare the two cards for print quality, for rosette pattern, for all sorts of things. But I think that's a, a different podcast. <laughs> yeah, we'd have to get the uh, counterfeit, counterfeit, counterspells. Ah, there we go. Crazy thought on the top of my head. Probably not right, but. Anyway, uh, you guys got any more questions about Double Masters? Let's see, with Double Masters, uh, you said that you did some draft simulations? Yeah, yeah. Um, and the format is different than most other drafts, because um, your first pick, you're actually taking two cards. Um, the rest of the draft is as normal. With uh, oh. taking those two cards, a lot of people are super happy about that, because then you can like really dive into an archetype if you get like two cards that work very strongly in something like that that's exactly right um and the archetypes are fairly clearly defined all you got to do is look at any of the cards that are double colored uh multicolored in the set and they pretty much spell out the archetypes for you um for example you've got uh what's a good one red white is um uh not is artifact uh more to the point equipment based uh blue white is token uh black black blue is uh artifacts you've got some definite overlap with some of these where uh you can you can draft into three and four colors and you've got the gold cards to support those as well and the archetypes are the archetypes are awesome um I really recommend checking it out. If you get the opportunity to draft this in person, do it. I am picking up a box and holding on to it and drafting that when we're able to. That is my uh, whole plan for that. That is my plan as well. I picked up a box pretty early, um, hoping it actually shipped. And uh, my plans are as soon as we can get an 
eight people together in one place safely, we're going to draft it. Uh, with some of these cards, um, hmm. uh, talking limited, do, how, how much do you know about something like Popper? Like, is Popper one of those uh, formats that you're well-versed in? Because there's a couple cards that um, have been rarity shifted down to be allowed in Popper now. So Popper is not a format I'm versed in. Um, I've actually never played a Popper <laughs> might be the only format that I've never played, um, aside from like pre-modern. I've played, I played pretty much everything, but I've never played Popper. So I'm not much to speak on it. I'm not one for that. Sorry. No, no, you're all good with that. Just thought I'd check because there's like 25 cards, I think, that have been shifted down into Popper. Uh, yep, cast down. Yeah, I hear a lot of my friends talk about it, um, and they're pretty excited about the stuff that's made it down into into the commons. It uh, it really makes you think that maybe maybe Double Masters also has that. Uh, it's also catering towards popper players as well. Then too, you know, we were talking about legacy and commander and modern, like getting some of these strong cards shifted down. Like this is just a set for every format then it seems it could be i mean that might have been the thought when they made it and if so i hope they keep that up because like i said making the game more accessible is better uh leave premium product for people who want it and make the cards that you need to play more accessible to everyone so that everyone can play the game that that that's i love that that philosophy for sure um the Ultimate Masters is a easy comparison with something like Double Masters. And when Ultimate Masters came out, a lot of the prices of cards uh, significantly dipped down. So that way more people could gain access to those harder to obtain cards with something like that. And Double Masters just seems like it's going to be doing that all over again, except for probably a lot more uh, lower important cards and stuff. Like I, I, I just keep coming back to like, well, for sure, Tron, like we were talking about earlier. Now everybody can like get into Tron no problem at all uh entirely yeah ancient stirrings i mean come on and it's not like you're limited to just like the the normal tron uh, as well like you you can also get blue tron in here because thirst for knowledge is also printed i hadn't really noticed that but you're right absolutely cyclone Um, is another blue tron piece as well you've also got cards in here like noble hierarch and Stoneforge Mystic. Mm-hmm. So happy about Yeah, there's a lot of pieces hierarchy. for uh, D&T also, I've noticed. Yep. Which is another and cheaper... Grim Lava Mancer. Grim Lava Mancer is a card that really needed a reprint, and I'm glad it finally made it. Wasn't uh, Grim Lava Mancer in Jumpstart as well? I believe it was. I'd yeah. have to double check. Yeah, I think it was in the 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 burn burn deck. But yeah, like, uh, I guess I guess this would be a good transition into asking about this. Uh, I know how I feel about that. There's a lot of people online talking about, oh, they just printed a card like this in uh, Mystery Booster or in uh, Jumpstart and stuff. And it's like, why would they be doing that? And um, can we get your take on back to back reprints on something like this? Sure. Um... I hate when they do that, but I totally understand why they do it. Um, so a lot of the times, the reprint that they're doing back-to-back, if you pay attention to it, it's they're reprinting it in two very different products, like um, Jumpstart and Double Masters. Those are products that cater to two completely different types of people. Jumpstart caters almost entirely to people who want to buy those packs and play with them. People are not buying, well, people probably aren't buying those packs just to crack them and get singles out of them. No, I can't imagine. That's another one I, I got a pack for, and I'm waiting to be able to dra- live draft it with people. Right. Yeah, That that's my point, is that is a set that is catering to a completely different demographic. And a lot of those cards, once they enter the 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 their targeted demographics hands they're going to be gone from the market they're not going to be resold somewhere because those those are the people who play at home with their friends and then put the cards away and never touch them again or they build edh decks and they don't either know how to sell their cards don't want to sell their cards or aren't interested in selling them so they're trading amongst themselves 
the the nameless, faceless, casual players out there are the majority of the MTG market, not the competitive players, not the financers. These people who play kitchen table magic are the majority of the people buying packs. I feel like that's always something to really hit home on when it comes to the the demographic of magic players. Like we are more uh, in uh, enfranchised with magic and stuff, so we see all these people that like uh, make content and stuff for magic, and we forget about the people that are not as interested in that side of magic. They just buy the packs, they make the decks, and it's the kitchen table magic players that really make magic go around um i know i can't remember uh it was a blog blogatog a, a long time ago where mark rosewater was specifically talking about how uh the kitchen table players are uh one of the biggest people that they're always selling packs to like set after set and that's what they always focus on because they're the ones that are always getting their money you get like these people that are uh, enfranchised with the game, and all of a sudden they're like, oh, I'm not buying from Watsy because they did something like this. But then you got the kitchen table player that's like, oh, sweet, there's a bunch of packs at Walmart now, or I can get some on Amazon and then just buy it that way or get a commander deck. That kitchen uh, table players. Uh, there is a historical precedent that can point you to just how big the casual pool of players is, and that's back in Time Spiral Block. Um, Reportedly, Time Spiral was one of the most reviled standard extended formats out there. And tournament and FNM and in-store events were down. People were not playing. You, they were losing players left and right. And that made them take a look at what was going on because packs and box sales were up. So who was buying these packs and these cards? if nobody was playing with a DCI number. It was the casuals. And that trend has continued. Even when uh, uh, organized play is down, that does not mean that sales are down, though it is one of the factors that they look at. If organized play numbers drop, they get worried. They've got to look at the bottom line, what's going on. Um, engagement in play organized play that is their marketing that is how they market this they don't have ads on tv you don't see ads in comic books or magazines it's people playing the game that market the game and that's just free money to them to 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 be able to do that so yeah the the level of focusing definitely seems like it's a it's a it's a teeter-totter a good balance that they gotta like find it but always remembering that i like that their oh. ca casual players are the are the are the biggest demographic but back to what we were talking about yes jumpstart is is there to target that casual demographic and maybe even to bring them into the store to become a little more enfranchised which is another ultimate goal but double masters is not aimed at that demographic double masters is aimed at the enfranchised player and the collector and the person building their fourth or fifth edh deck this is not for somebody who's just looking to play at the kitchen table and the not just the cards that are in it but the price of the packs should help you identify that as what it is um the complexity of the cards also should help you identify that this is not for the ca most casual players this is for somebody who's played the game for a while uh this this part right here this question i'm going to ask has uh, not nothing to do with double masters but we're talking about booster packs and stuff last week wizards talked about the set boosters which is going to be a new thing with zendikar rising i definitely believe that the set boosters is a pack that's now made for those casual players uh more than the draft pack like they said you know like draft packs are meant to uh, to draft against, play against, but what and they're trying to construct the perfect magic pack for when you just want to open it up for you know the casual magic player. I believe that the set booster is going to be a home run for something like that, but the uh, the, the one dollar price difference is definitely going to be 
were maybe worrisome and stuff for maybe those casual players because if they see a pack like that, it's like I've been paying three ninety nine for a pack for this long and now I'm paying four ninety nine or five ninety nine, whatever it's you know, they're hoping it to be only supposed to be a dollar more, so you know. Right. Well, the fetch lands are only supposed to be about, you know, a hundred and fifty. And we see what happened there. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me about it. Yeah, that's uh, MSRP. There is no such thing as MSRP for Magic product anymore. Yeah. Um, I nope. think that was one of the stupidest things they could have done. Um, but that's that's totally opinion and conjecture. Um, as for set boosters, I love this idea. I absolutely, I am all for it, but I'm cautiously optimistic about them. Um, they could go horribly wrong. And it, I'm really waiting to see what they look like when they actually come out. Buying boosters to that are designed for play with all the commons and uncommons has always been a thorn in my side uh, as a collector. I used to buy a box every set or two, crack it open, and pull everything out trying to complete my set. And I'd end up with so many extra commons and uncommons that I just didn't want, let alone need, and couldn't get rid of for the life of me. You know, it was it was literal waste, magic waste. Um, the idea of catering boosters to somebody who's just looking to crack it open and complete a set or complete play sets to play with. Again, the concept behind it is fantastic. And they have to keep the standard booster around for drafting purposes unless they want to completely rearrange how a draft works. Uh, drafting is one of their major formats uh, that you know they're always trying to focus on and stuff. So I can't imagine changing the draft format is something that they'd be wanting to do. <laughs> I can't imagine it, but they've done it before. So, have they? Know. Oh yeah, drafting used to be a completely different format than it is now. It used to be something called um, um, crap. Is it Rochester draft, where you uh... you crack open the pack, you lay out all the cards face up, and then you go around the table. Each person picks a, a card out of the pack, one pack at a time. Oh, so you and rotate instead of the pack. That's right. And you get to know what everyone's picking that way. Uh, I suppose. That, well, yeah, you, you don't pass the pack around. It's actually laid out on the table, and the person who gets first pick takes that card, and the next person takes that card, and the next person takes that card. And it would go around and around until all the packs were drafted. It would take forever. I, but, I, I do recall yeah. seeing this uh, style of drafting. I didn't realize that that was the way that they did it before. I just thought it was like a, an extra way to draft that other people can because uh, there's like the the vintage Ro Rochester cube or something that uh, uh, Marshall Sutcliffe was uh, uh, took part in uh, before yeah. COVID happened in February at one of the last GPs there when he was like live tweeting. I'm like, this is crazy, you know. You're like seeing what everybody's picking and stuff. I'm like, I just thought it was like an additional thing. I didn't know that that was an actual. That was the original way to draft. The more you know. Wow. Yeah, we've not been in franchise as long I've as been, you have. So <laughs> <laughs> I've been playing this game literally, you know, since it came out. So I've been around. Let's see. I jumped in at the end of Scars of Mirrodin at the time of Innistrad. was when I was getting in. So I started playing this game uh, in... Uh, cafeterias and mall food courts way back in the early 90s. Um, person that I used to play with and trade with was Brian David Marshall. Oh, uh, and he, then he started up this place called Neutral Ground, one of the first, you know, of the modern style of game stores in New York City. Uh, and I used to play there. I used to run tabletop role playing games for the store. Um, and uh, I'd play magic there. And uh, yeah, that that was where I got my start. That's that is really cool to to go back then, be affiliated with uh, uh, BDM, Brian David Martin. No, you, you want to hear really cool? 
I'm 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 gonna say something really nice about BDM. I had not seen this man in about 20 years. Okay. And I moved all the way to the other side of the country. I live in Oregon now, not New York. I went to PAX Prime. Uh God, it was I wanna say 2012. And him and Marshall Sutcliffe and Reed Duke were sitting in the hotel lobby of the hotel I was staying in, uh, drafting a cube with a bunch of other people. Me and my friend walk past, and I'm watching, and BDM looks up at me and says, do I know you? Hey, you're Adam, my my real name. He remembered my name. (laughs) Called me over, and we had a conversation. He was asking me about my old collection because he remembered it and all that. It was awesome. That man is a peach. Uh, He... uh, I gained like 30 pounds since then, since I had last seen him. I cannot believe he remembered me. So kudos to that man. He is one of the best. That is a mind like a steel trap. Like 20 years you said that you haven't seen him and he's just able to call you out like that. Yeah, totally. I mean, it blew my friend's mind that he that he knew me. You know, he, I had told him before that I that I had met him, that I knew him, that he didn't believe me because, you know, it's a story. Uh, and then he called me out, and it was awesome. <laughs> yeah, I can't. I can't imagine the feeling like something like that. If I had uh, a high-level magic player, just be like Matt. It's like, well, first off, I don't know anybody, but what are you talking about, Matt? You know Corey? Oh yeah, I've, yeah. I've met Corey Baumeister, but I don't know if he'd fully remember me. <laughs> if he does, that's great. But <laughs> oh, let's see. Let's uh. Let's try and uh, finish off strong here with a couple more uh, Double Masters uh, discussion. So we covered uh, some of the cards and like prices and stuff when it comes to trading or uh, cards, moving the cards down, making it more accessible. Uh, Man, like the accessibility of this set, I just, I just can't, I can't get my mind how great these cards are that they reprinted. And so I got a question for you guys, actually, Let's about double masters. So for each of you, if you were to open just a single card out of double masters, and it was the card that you absolutely wanted to get out of it, which card is it and why? Ooh. Strong question. I think I know what my answer is. I have a couple cards that I'd want, but... My number one, I it can only be one. Yeah, I I know, I know, but I'm pretty sure I can narrow it down to one, pretty easily. You got yours, JB? He's looking to do. Yeah, I think so. Even though I'm 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 pretty sure it's going to be the same as Danny's, but. (laughs) (laughs) Well, my card that I'd love to open would be the new Blightsteel Colossus art. Oh, that is a gorgeous card. Yeah. It it is so it it looks like it's like actually moving when you're looking at it like you feel the power and that little guy that's in his hand it's like he's done for you see how uh, I imagine like very anime speed like is what Blightsteel Colossus did to get this guy just like showed up right behind him Dragon Ball Z style and picked him up like that's the, <laughs> that's like the movement that I'm getting from this art and it's just so epic that is what I would love to open up in a pack. Do you have a deck to put that in? Oh, I do. <laughs> oh, I do. I got. <laughs> what? What's your format of choice? Uh, format of choice. Uh, it uh, teeters between two. Right now, it's a lot of EDH, but it goes between EDH and modern a lot of the time. Uh, modern's really kind of like been put on the back shelf since COVID and stuff, so it's been <laughs> yeah. EDH and playing online. But I got a Mimeoplasm Infect deck that I would love to get this card in. Oh wow. All right, who's next? Yeah, he's that kind of player. <laughs> uh, so just cause, just because it's a staple in both basically every commander deck that I have, uh, an Angel Vault showcase art. Nice. Just because you can't argue with Avison against her, is this? I can argue. I'll lose, but I can argue. <laughs> I can argue with anyone. But yeah, I'll... go ahead. Since- Danny went and took it. That's the exact same card that I was thinking. <laughs> I've got a soft spot for angels. It's actually the very first uh, 
deck I built was an Angel Tribal deck. Uh, I still have it, actually. I love playing it. Um, and this is always one card that I wanted to put in that deck, but was never able to because the, the price point's always been so high. Uh, so I would love to open this, especially with that box topper art. I mean, it's just a beautiful card, and it would be a welcome addition in that deck. Oh, yeah, for sure. Nice. For myself, the card that I want to open most would be... Ooh. That's actually tough. I think Land Tax is actually the card I am actually looking forward to opening the most. Um, I have one in my cube, but it is a gold border version from one of the... uh, from one of the uh, Gold Border World Series decks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'd love to replace it. And I could probably pretty easily get a land tax. I mean, it's not a big card or anything, but there's just a thrill to opening up a card that you know you want to put somewhere, that you you, you don't have to go out and hunt for it and find it. So I think land tax is the card for me. You get such a kick of uh, dopamine when when that happens, and it's like that's hard. That's to... right. My my backup would have been Rista Redeemed because I don't own one, and uh, at some point I want to build an Elf Tribal deck. Uh, so uh, EDH, and I think he would be the commander. So okay. Lockheed, are you a primarily EDH player then? No, actually, despite the fact that I love putting together EDH decks. I think I have played uh, 12 games total in all my years. (laughs) Um, I am primarily a standard player, but I also play Legacy and Modern and a little bit of Pioneer. Um, Vintage when I can, Cube Draft as often as I can. I have multiple cubes that I play with my friends. I do not play limited that often. Um, my wife does all the limited events while I play all the constructed events so that one of us is always home to watch the kid okay. who doesn't play magic. Um, but yeah, I I have always kind of shied away from EDH because I have trouble wrapping my head around that singleton deck building format. So unless like somebody else gives me a deck to play with, I I lock up trying to put the deck together. Um, I love the format because most of the time when I'm playing, when I'm playing standard or modern, it's in a much more competitive mindset. And I love playing that much more casual mindset with uh, EDH where I don't care if I lose. There's nothing on the line. I'm just here to socialize and have fun. And trying to win is part of having that fun. But if I don't win, it's not a big deal. Look at that awesome thing my, my friend just did that blew up the whole table yeah i love that about edh speaking of that wrath of god (laughs) (laughs) that and avison everyone hates it stupid oh yeah don't forget it's good so my favorite edh deck my favorite edh deck is actually a god's tribal deck that a friend of mine helped me put together it plays all the theros gods and all and the commander is child of alara okay blow up the world as often as I can because all my crap's indestructible and your crap isn't. Yep. Makes it even better now that uh, the the commander rule has changed. Uh, the commander de- dies rule has changed for Child of oh, yeah. now. Yeah, I have, to, I have to go and update that deck now now that that rule has changed. Um, I had uh, a whole bunch of ways to pull her out of the graveyard so that I could let her go to the graveyard. Um. I don't need to do that anymore. <laughs> no. So would a, would a quick change, like the thing I'm thinking about would be changing those graveyard retrieval spells to like just more of a, a ramp or what, what specifically would you think you'd be? I think for? it would be more ramp or um, I ha- I might have to put in a Sisse Weatherlight Captain into there so that I can pull the right god at the right time out of the deck. Um, I had the other Sisse in there, the original. Uh, Captain Sisse. Oh, yep, yep. I uh, think I might need to get the five-color Sisse in there. So, speaking of Sisse and Child of Alara, so I had a Child of Alara deck. It was an angel deck. Um, 
built around obviously Avison to make sure everything's indestructible. But it was, it was before this, so it's like, okay, well, child goes to the graveyard. There's no way for me to uh, get her back. And then I changed her to Cisse, the weather um, captain. So I'm in the same boat, sort of, as your deck, except I don't have the god or as many gods. I think I only have like two in there. But. Yeah. I love, I like, the deck came about because I loved like Xenagos and Phoenix and everything. And I told my friend, and so. Uh, he went and he actually built the deck for me and okay. gave me the deck list. And uh, I've played it, it's probably the deck I've played the most. And again, like I said, I've only played about a dozen games of EDH ever, but uh, I love it. Uh, I did an interview uh, with Jake Boss from MTG Tonight about the deck on uh, YouTube. God, that was two years ago, I want to say. Hmm. Um, he works for Command Zone now, so... Yeah, I think uh, Jake made it on an episode of This Week in MTG when Robs was hosting it. Yes, he did. Uh, I extended the invite for Robs to Jake. Ah, great connections that way. Yeah. uh, Uh, Jake is a personal friend. Um, When he was living out here in the Portland area, me and him used to play Standard and Magic a lot. And uh, I helped him build up his, uh, his personal collection. With all those extras that you didn't want for when you're opening. I gave him a 5,000 count box of commons and uncommons. That is the way to do it. (laughs) When he was first starting to play Magic. Everybody loves bulk. Yep. So there you go. Well, we've been talking for a little over an hour here. Uh, Should we give some closing thoughts on Double Masters here to try and like get thoughts all put together to close this episode out something along those lines absolutely all right um i think it's a great product overall the reprint's gonna make it accessible for more people to play magic i'm excited to see what it's gonna do in like two months i think i've already said my piece on double masters i'm in almost total agreement i think this set is uh, a home run. I think Watsi has knocked it out of the park with this. They have printed cards for every level of play into this, and there's something in this set for everyone. I think the price point might be a little bit high, but I don't think it's that it's high enough that it's going to stop the product from getting to the people who actually want it. Yeah, it's very true. I know I'm going to be buying. Like this is probably going to be the thing I buy packs from for a while. Like. Modern or Modern Horizons was that. Whenever I had a chance to buy packs, I'd always be buying Modern Horizons packs. And I believe that this is going to be the new uh, Modern Horizons packs for me to be buying when I get the chance. I agree. Yep. <laughs> nice single word answers there, guys. Yep. We're just co-hosts. He's the host. Yeah, we're here for the witty banter. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> If you can only hear the the pre-show stuff that we talk about, I get <laughs> all this shit. <laughs> but it's wonderful. I want to I want trade them for the world. Right. <laughs> well, this has been great, guys. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. Um, it was nice talking with you. Uh, we hit a great topic. I think we all hit great points, and it sounds like we're all basically in agreement on what this set is and what it means for the game. Yeah, definitely. I I have high hopes for this for sure. Um, with some of the people complain about the price point, I'm worried that that's gonna like, you know, people are still gonna buy though. Like, even if people are complaining about the price, there like you know there there will be people still buying. You know. Well, look, it, there there's an old saying: if Watsi put folded hundred dollar bills in every pack, literally, which is <laughs> almost what they've done with this set. You'd still have people complaining that their bill was folded wrong and they're not buying packs because of it. Yep. Or there's a will, somebody will find a way to complain about it. That's right. Lockheed, thank you so much for this. Maybe we'll do a follow-up in a couple months, you know, like the couple months is Double Master's been out and kind of see where things are going and maybe we'll go deeper and stuff from there. Maybe do a follow up on the set boosters. Oh, count. See count how that all uh, pans count out. Me in. I would not mind uh, revisiting with you guys. 
That is Perfect. great to hear. Lockheed, thank you. Uh, final shout outs. Uh, plug yourself, man. Let's uh, get some more about Magic Financial Aid. Uh, I'll make sure to put descriptions if anybody doesn't catch this part, but. Sure. Uh, again, I'm not really plugging myself. I don't make any money or anything from MFA. I am simply a moderator for the community. Um, the place is run by a guy named Chaz, uh, who is an awesome guy who who started the whole thing with the intention of building a community who talks to each other, who shares information with each other, and who helps each other out. Um, you can find me on there uh, on their Discord server or on, jeez, uh, pretty much any Discord server that deals with uh, Magic Finance. I'm on all of them. Um, but Magic Financial Aid, is that that's the real place to go. And if you want to check it out, you can check out their Patreon at patreon.com slash chazvmtg. And that that is where you go to find, find me. Uh, there's a public channel. You don't have to be a member to hop on the server and check it out. Perfect. Thank you so much. From there, we'll catch you all next time. Thank you.